1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny.
1: Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital.
2: Boston Loose Baseball is back. Grant Paulson, Toby Altizer, and producer Darius Dameron with you. I told you Danny would be still contributing and involved in the pod as we go, but he's a busy man. We wanted to deliver you the most content we could. Toby has jumped in with me, and we're going to crank out multiple pods a week and really feed the beast that is this Nationals fan base. And Toby, people have been enjoying watching this team listening to podcasts like this one they started one in 6 they're 19 and 21 since doesn't sound like a lot but hovering around 500 feels pretty good right now to be a nats fan compared to
3: maybe what you're expecting coming into the year yeah credit to the ball club they play hard and even the other night friday night i was at the game watching the tigers nats game and tigers go up 8 to nothing it's the ugliest game of the season so far it looked a lot like last year where guys aren't catching the baseball, they're making bad throws, they're having very uncompetitive at-bats, and then credit to them. They battled back, made it a game going into the late innings, and ended up losing the ball game. but they came back and won the series against the Tigers, so this baseball team has been a lot better than we expected. I think we expected it to be similar to last season, a lot of uncompetitive, uncompelling baseball that you felt almost... Like a chore to watch and cover this team, but this year they've been fun to watch and they've played good baseball. Yeah. Since you and I got back uh, on busting loose
2: baseball here, they've played four games. They had the series finale in Miami. They had really the Marlins just had their number, obviously. And then, as you said, took two out of three from Detroit. A couple of things standing out to me right now, I wanted to pay attention to and, and give some credit to on the pod. Jamer Candelario is a walking. Torch at this point. The human torch was denied a bank loan or something like that. The dude is on fire. He is 16 for his last 28, hitting 571, 19 for his last 54, hitting 352 over 15 games. He's hitting about 285 with an OPS of almost 850 in his last 30 games. I mean, what else can you ask for from a guy who's played good third defensively? tied for the team high with six homers, couple RBI off the team high pace, and now he's hitting 270 with a 780
3: OPS. Only Lane Thomas is having a better season. Yeah, I mean, there there wasn't a whole lot of expectations when the Nationals brought this guy in this offseason. There weren't a whole lot of moves. I mean, the big name signing was Trevor Williams, which doesn't get you very excited about what they did this offseason, but Mike Rizzo did a little bit of what he's been doing the last couple years, bringing in guys on short-term deals that maybe you can flip at the deadline. and. Candyman has done so well that maybe he's someone that someone would be willing to give a decent prospect for at the deadline, and I think that's a good thing for the Nationals. I mentioned Lane Thomas, whose
2: OPS is up to 787 on the season. He's tied with the six home runs with Candelario for the team high, and he's also got 23 runs batted in, even with Abrams and Manessis atop the board. Lane Thomas is hitting .290. He's getting on base about 34% of the time. I always like to remind everyone that the Nationals got this guy for John frickin' Lester at the end of his career without a whole lot to offer. And at the final minute at the deadline, Mike Rizzo ends up flipping Lester to St. Louis for Thomas, who was already in the big leagues. Last seven games, he's hitting 380. Last 15, he's hitting two, uh, 323. And over his last 30 games, he's hitting 280 with an OPS of almost you know 740 in that time. 27 years old could also be a trade chip. I know people are really starting to like him a lot and feel like maybe he could be a part of the future as an extra piece in the outfield. Ideally, James Wood, Elijah Green, Robert Hassel, Dalen Lyle, you know, three of those four guys end up being your starters. And Lane Thomas maybe has moved for some depth somewhere along the way.
3: Yeah, Lane Thomas has been good and maybe you can move him. But at the same point, like you mentioned, I don't mind him sticking around. I don't know that he projects to be a really good fielder, outfielder like he's been. If he can continue this up, obviously you're going to find places for him. But I think as a fourth outfielder for a contending baseball team, he'd be good. Maybe as that bottom of the order outfielder, that last guy you can throw in right field. I know he's got a good arm in right, but the metrics don't necessarily say he's a great fielder in the outfield. But I, I think he's really shown that, and we've known this about Lane Thomas, but when he has those stretches where he gets hot, he can be one of the best hitters in the National League, honestly. It's kind of crazy to see the stretches he goes on. It's more so just trying to find a consistency so he doesn't have those down spells. Yeah, he's been on one of those heaters right now. In fact, we have a, a mutual buddy,
2: and we were driving to a, a Nats game, or I guess it might we might have even been going to see Shohei. Uh, we were going to see yep. Shohei against the Orioles, and I made a bet, uh, they're a big Lane Thomas fan, our buddy Ryan, and I said, you know, I think he's going to have whatever the OPS was. So I think I gave him 780 and up on the year for Lane Thomas. I've got the under on 780 uh, on my bet. And right now, after his stretch, he's up to 787. So what do you think? Am I going to win that bet or not? 780
3: OPS. I think he's going to come back down to earth, but we got so much time left. He'll probably hit another hot streak too. So who knows? Uh, looking at some of the veterans here with Toby, I'm Grant. You're listening
2: to Busting Loose Baseball. What do you make of Joey Manessis' season so far? He's hitting for average. I mean, if you would have told me at the start of the year, he'd be hitting 296 right now, I- I'd have been thrilled with that. But very little slugs. 387, just so, you know, a- as a comp. Uh, C.J. Abrams, higher slugging percentage. Um, you know, comparable with like uh, Luis Garcia or so. I mean, you you would think Manessis doubles, home runs, extra base hits just has not really happened. Still just the two homers to go along with 11 doubles, which is a category that's starting to climb for him.
3: Yeah, I think that's been the most disappointing part with Manessis is, you know, he started off really slow. So you almost thought it was kind of a fluke last year. And then he's got that batting average back up. But it's really just because of singles all over the place and not a whole lot of power. I'd like to see some more power because that's what's really lacking in the Nationals lineup right now. And you thought that if there were a guy that was going to do it, it'd probably be a guy like Manessis, but he hasn't had it. So I'd still like to see. I mean, we're getting to the point now where we can't really use the its early point anymore. I mean, we're starting to get a decent enough sample size that you're kind of settled into the year. So maybe these guys are showing you kind of what they are. I'd like to see that power jump up a little bit. It'd be interesting to see what he can do, but... I mean, at least he's getting hits now and getting on base. So I'll I'll take a little bit more power, but I'm fine with what he's giving you right now. And you could say the same, I'd say, for Luis Garcia as well.
2: I know he's only hitting 255, but his slug's about 360 on the year. Uh, he has three home runs, which is not a bad total through 40 games. You know, ideally, he'd be hitting more. That's a pace for about a dozen home runs over 162 games. Having said that, the doubles are really what is frustrating to me. I mean, you'd think with his swing, the line drive approach, kind of a 20-double pace. You know, As an example, half as many as Manessas has had, um, almost a third of what Candelario has had. I'd love to see the doubles climb because that slug goes up and that 660 OPS, which is below Dominic Smith and K. Barrett Ruiz and Abrams and you know, barely above Alex Call would go up as well. I think just in general, Garcia has been much better at the plate than the numbers show. He's really hard to strike out. He puts the ball in play. It's a lot of contact. Like there are some things I like, but in today's day and age, if you're not driving the ball, it's, it's just hard to get a whole lot of love.
3: Yeah. And I wonder if there's maybe a little bit of an overcorrection with his approach or his swing this off season where, you know, it used to be that Garcia, he, he, when he made contact, it was loud contact, but he didn't make contact enough. So you thought, well, you know, maybe we need to switch a little bit. And now he's making contact all the time. One of the lowest strikeout rates in the league yet he's not driving the baseball all over the place like he used to. So I think it's still in there. Maybe they need to change his approach just a little bit instead of just trying to hit the baseball all the time, trying to drive the ball all over the ballpark and out of the ballpark. I think he's still got it in him. But I think for me, the most encouraging part is the fact that he's reduced the strikeouts and he's putting the ball in play. And I think if you can just alter that a little bit, tweak it a little bit, increase that power, get a little bit of that back, I think we could see Luis Garcia take off again
1: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
2: All right, let's go to the pitching side as we break down some of the veterans on the roster. Spent a lot of time on the pod last week talking about how the kids were faring. I think we've had a major breakthrough in a development here for Patrick Corbin, who has had five quality starts in his last six outings. And he's been ultra-competitive really now in seven straight outings. If you look at it, uh, I'll just go in order. Six innings, two runs against the Tigers, and both of those came on a two-run homer in the first inning. Six innings, two runs against the Mets. Six innings, three runs against the Giants. Seven innings, two runs against the Cubs. So this month, he's got a 2.80 ERA in four starts and in 25 innings, despite only having 13 strikeouts, just 25 hits and – You know, his best ERA in a month in a few years. Uh, You go back to the end of April, five and a third, three runs against the Pirates, six innings, three runs against the Twins, six innings, two earned runs against Cleveland, and seven innings, four earned runs against the Angels. He really hasn't had a bad start since he got hit really hard by the Tampa Bay Rays on April 5th, which was his second start of the season. It seems like Patrick Corbin has figured something out here.
3: Yeah, and it's really weird because if you go look at some of the advanced metrics, he's still not having a great year. Like his expected ERA, I believe, is 610, which is only three tenths of a run down from last year. So I don't quite know what's happened over the last couple of starts. It's one of those things where maybe the metrics just don't like him, but he's finding a way to get outs and not giving up the contact that he's used to giving up because. I don't know that seeing him on the mound, it's looked noticeably different, other than the fact that the guys are just swinging and missing now, as opposed to rocking the ball all over all over the ballpark.
2: Yeah, to your point, and I want to kind of back up what you just said with some numbers. I'm looking up where he ranks percentiles this year. So, you know, out of 100th percentiles of, of pitching, you know, where does he stack up? 14th in average exit velocity. So, 86% of pitchers are giving up weaker contact essentially than he is 13th and hard hit percentage again 87 percent of pitchers are are giving up uh less hard contact than weaker contact if you look at his expected batting average second percentile 98 percent of pitchers do a better job in terms of xba x slug eighth percentile k percentage seventh percentile Again, you want to be ninety nine, 100th, 98th. 90, the lower the number, this is not golf. The worse this is. Uh, whiff percentage, 15th. Fastball spin rate, 5th. Fastball velocity, 26th. The two areas where he's been very good this year, most notably, is walk percentage. He is not walking anybody. When you cut down on walks and you make people earn it, that helps, and it certainly has bailed him out a ton this year that he's not walking anybody. The other is extension, and if you compare his extension to last year uh, and the year before, it's always been very successful. He's 88th percentile, meaning uh, kind of like um, it, it has to do with uh, basically where it looks like the ball's being released from out in front of you. Um, he's 88. He's been 85, 83. So in other words, that's not an area where like he's improved, whereas walk ratio, 99th percentile, or I should say, um, 93rd percentile this year, it was 61st last year. It was 54th before that. So that's an area where he's really, really improved. But that expected batting average, even last year, which finished in the first percentile, second right now, we're painting a picture of the numbers may be way better than kind of the results should
3: be, and maybe there's a regression back to the old ways coming. Yeah, and it's a weird thing too, though, because – this isn't like a sample size of two starts where maybe he just had the lineups number. Like like you mentioned, really, since his second start of the year where he kind of got rocked, he's been pretty good. So the numbers don't seem to match the results. And maybe we're going to start seeing a little bit more of the Patrick Corbin that we've known over the last couple of seasons that's been one of the worst pitchers in baseball. But I, as much as you want to look into the advanced numbers, and I think that stuff can tell you a lot, at the same point, he's going out there and on the actual baseball field, giving you quality starts. So I'll take that every day. One other
2: pitcher, real quick, I, I wanted to just bring up because uh, we haven't gotten to talk to him uh, about him much on the pod. I will say he came on with Danny and I right after he signed, and he was a great interview. Maybe we get him back on here in the next few weeks. Trevor Williams. I like what he's done. You know, they brought him in here to, to kind of be a back of the rotation arm. He's made nine starts, he's pitched to an ERA a little over four. Forty-four innings so far this season. Last time out, quality start against Miami. Six innings, three runs. Uh, He would have more innings, and his average, you know, innings per start would look a lot different if not for uh, a short outing with weather against the Mets. But Trevor Williams, I think, has given them kind of exactly what they signed up for. No delusions of grandeur. He's thirty-one. He's a journeyman. He'd been in the bullpen with the Mets. He kind of failed out as a starter with the Pirates, but. For this team that wasn't spending any money, you mentioned he was one of their big offseason additions. I think he's been a nice find for them. And another guy that, whether it's as in the rotation or in the bullpen, if he has a an ERA of four in a month or two, I think you could probably make some calls on him and, and maybe find a player someone's willing to give you for him.
3: Yeah, I think with Trevor Williams, you brought him in. You needed someone to be in the rotation to eat innings. You had Corbin at the time you were thinking Gore, Gray and Cavalli obviously Cavalli goes down but you just needed someone to kind of eat innings and I think that's what they brought Trevor Williams in for in hopes that maybe he could show you a little potential and move him like we've mentioned with many other players they've done that with and Trevor Williams has been more than just an innings eater he's been a good pitcher for them and at times been a really good pitcher for them so I think yeah you're right if he can stick around where he's at or maybe even improve a little bit even if he got just a little bit worse honestly I could see him being moved at the deadline he's been a very solid piece of the rotation for them that every time that trevor williams takes the hill you know that you're at least going to have a chance probably in that game
2: and he's just not getting hit that hard i mean average exit velocity 76th percentile hard hit percentage 72nd chase rate 72nd so people are expanding the zone on him uh there's some numbers to like here not walking many batters either uh so that's a, a pretty good sign now uh if you look at the you know deeper dive peripherals like his ERA right now should actually probably be five, not four, two, but uh, so far I would say so good, so decent, something like that uh, for Trevor Williams, which is about what we would have anticipated. Well, and real Um, quick, Grant, on that,
3: there's two pitchers we just mentioned. We talked about Williams, we talked about Corbin, expected ERA much higher than what their actual ERA is. I think that speaks a little bit to how much better this infield defense has been for the Nationals this year. Obviously that doesn't necessarily – account for all of that some of that's good luck but last year those eras if they were expected to be five and six they would have been five and six because they weren't making plays on the infield this year they're making plays for their pitchers and it's helped them out a lot it's a great point even with the high error count like cj abrams
2: gets to a ton of baseballs he's got exceptional range garcia has been fantastic at second base we talked on the pot a few days ago about while you know, some of the great stories so far for the Nationals this year, that's right up near the top. This was a guy that every time a ball was hit to him, no matter where he was playing defensively, you almost had to cover your face, right? And and this year with Louie at second, he's been really, really good. And then at the corners, the, the new faces and new places. Jamer Candelario has been marvelous at the hot corner. I think he's been really, really good defensively. And Dom Smith has saved their bacon time and time and time again. You know, I always say that, defensive metrics are pretty uh fluky and I still don't completely buy them for what it's worth. But if you look at it right now at third base, Jamer Candelario is 87th percentile and outs above average. You know, he he has fielded a lot of balls coming in toward home plate. Really, really impressive. Um, done some really nice things at third and just given them outs on plays. As you said, really well, Tobe that last year, I, I don't think we're outs. And at first base, I mean, how many more errors would C.J. Abrams have if Josh Bell was still over there? Like, Dominic Smith has been vacuuming the ball up all season long, 90th percentile outs above average at first base.
3: Yeah, and I mean, if you were going to complain about anything with Dom Smith, his bat has been hit or miss, and it hasn't been necessarily exactly what you want with the power. But his glove has been so fantastic, and very rarely am I saying that about a first baseman because you want slugging out of that first base position – but he's been so good over at first. He gives help to the young guys on the infield. And then you, you know, add that with what Candelario is giving you over at third. And I think it's improved a lot. And I think that's maybe why you've seen some of the guys in the pitching staff take steps forward, where Corbin's kind of back to a little bit of what you were used to. And gray and Gore have seemed to take real good strides this year as well. And I think that's really helping them out.
0: Yeah.
2: And I see on Nats Twitter for what it's worth. Dominic Smith gets beat up a lot. Uh, people just, You know, they don't don't like the at-bats. I I think it's that you play first, you don't have much power. And this has been an issue for him and the perception of him his whole career as a first-round pick out of a high school, as a first baseman, which just doesn't really happen. But I say that to tell you what gets slept on is the fact that he gets on base. He's got 21 walks and 28 strikeouts. I don't think there's another player on the team. In fact, I know there's not another player on the team other than K. Barrett Ruiz, whose walks and strikeouts are that close together, right? I mean, K. Bear never walks and never strikes out, so I think he's got like twelve of each or something like that. But Dominic Smith on the year over twenty walks, under thirty strikeouts, his on base percentage is three fifty seven. He gets on base at a higher clip than Lane Thomas, who hits two ninety, then Joey Manessas, who hits two ninety seven, uh, then, then Candelario, who we're talking about, who is on a heater for them. So I care a lot about on base percentage. Like, yeah, I want power. I'm not telling you Dom Smith is my Ideal or prototypical first baseman. That, that's not my point at all. But when people are killing him for his lack of production, I think it needs to be acknowledged. He's the single best on base guy on the team right
3: now, and he draws a lot of walks. Yeah, and I think he's a good teacher for some of the young guys because you just think about some of the at bats he puts together. They're professional ABs. Maybe he's not driving the ball out of the ballpark, but the defense is shifting him as much as they can with the new rules, and he's still just dumping a ball into left field. He's hitting a little squibber over to third because they're shifting on him professional at-bats, a good approach, and hopefully he can help some of the young guys. We talked about Luis Garcia. You talk about C.J. Abrams. They can learn from a guy like that. Even if he's not hitting the ball out of the ballpark, he comes up to the plate with the right approach, makes good at-bats, and even if he's not hitting the ball out of the ballpark, even if he's not driving the ball in the gaps, he's finding a way to get on base, like you said, outside of Victor Robles. He's got the highest on-base percentage on the team at 357. That's the kind of stuff you want to have the young guys learn as well. So let's get into one
2: other player from this weekend that stood out to me. I thought Josiah Gray was interesting in that start against the Tigers because this was uh, Sunday. He couldn't throw strikes. He was walking a lot of guys. I thought he was missing with some quality balls at times, but he still didn't uh, break. Like he bent, he bent, he bent, he bent, but he never broke. And eventually five innings of three hit one run ball, the six walks is an outlier on his season. But, you know, you've seen it now more often, right? He had four walks against the Giants, I think three against the Marlins. So over his last three starts in 19 innings, he's got 13 walks, which is obviously way too many. But he's been able to avoid crooked number innings. He gave up one run in each of his last two starts, two runs against the Giants. He stranded a lot of runners. I'm pretty excited about the fact that he's pitching, man. Like, he is learning to really uh, limit damage and get by with his B and C stuff, this has been a huge stretch for the 25-year-old.
3: Yeah, that's what gets me the most excited so far for Josiah Gray. It's not the fact that he's struggling right now finding the zone. It's not all that stuff, and I'm sure at some point he's going to get that all figured out again and get back to the Josiah Gray we saw early in the season. The thing that gets me excited is he doesn't have his A stuff, and he hasn't had his A stuff for a couple of outings now, and like you said, he hasn't blown up. Last year, those were the outings that we saw him not even get out of the third and fourth inning because he'd given up a couple of homers, and the, the ball game was basically already done. This year, he's finding a way to fight through it, and I think that's the growth that you see in Josiah Gray this year. We got spoiled for years with a guy like Max Scherzer, and they talk about it on the broadcast all the time. He doesn't have his best stuff, but he's finding a way to keep the ball club in the game and give the a, a little bit of distance in the ball game for the ball club, and that's something that Josiah Gray showed really well on Sunday you don't want to see him consistently walking all the guys there's no doubt about that it's not like you want him to not have his a stuff all the time but when you don't have it can you find a way to battle through it and keep the ball club in the game and Josiah Gray has shown that this year he's able to do that
2: yeah it's been a massive development you know it's it's kind of one of those blessings in disguise so to speak because you my frustration has been It's not as crisp. It's not as dominant as it was early in the year. You know, he's not as um, the swings and misses aren't there to the same extent. He's not going six innings with, with, you know, a run on, on a couple of hits. There are more base runners. Having said that, I think this is an important hurdle for him to clear, to kind of get through uh, this challenge of being able to really bear down. And he has gotten really good at it here in these last few starts, but we're due for seeing him go out and just have a clean, quality, good outing because uh, there's been a few since that's been the case. How about the uh, Sunday game, speaking of that game against the Tigers when they won the series, 18 hits, which I believe was a team high for the season. I mentioned Jamer had four. Riley Adams off the bench went four for four in that game with a home run. Ildemaro Vargas homered for the first time since last year, had multiple hits. It was kind of a, a bench day. I mean, Davey filled out the lineup to get some guys to make that normally don't for a day game on a Sunday going into the Monday off day. I think he wanted to to get some guys a, a couple of day reprieve. And boy, did it work out with uh, the spare pieces coming in to the lineup and delivering.
3: Yeah, when I saw the lineup initially, 7-8-9 being Vargas at short, Chavis at second, Adams in the nine hole, I was like, oh boy, <laughs> you're going to do this with. Josiah Gray on the Hill. I wasn't a super fan of that. And, and the then series on the line, too. The guys came through. You had Vargas with two hits. You had Riley Adams had a great day with four hits. Chavis came through with a base hit as well. And the, the whole ball club just put together quality at-bats. And it's not like the guys that the Tigers were throwing on Sunday were great. You have a guy named Wentz who doesn't typically do well in Washington. So he's, Carson Wentz. <laughs> you saw that happen. He gave up 10 of the hits. But I think that the guys just put together good at bats, and that's something that I think they've done a really good job of this year. And the, to credit to them this year and, and that ball game on Sunday in particular is they just didn't take the foot off the gas. They kept getting base hits, kept getting base hits, and the the next guy in the order didn't try to do too much. You know, there's two guys on. He didn't try to hit one out of the ballpark for the three run home run. He took what was given to him, and the guys just kept the line moving, and they found a way to drive some runs in. You'd like to see. With 18 hits, you'd like to see more than six runs score, but it was enough for him on Sunday.
2: Where are you at on Riley Adams? I, I keep thinking, and I, I said this on the pod last week. I want him to play more. Uh Kbert Ruiz's future is massive and important, but you could DH him, you know, you could play Kbert a couple times a week without catching him. He also could just get a couple of more days off, you know, every week or two at the catching position where he's been an Iron Man. And they, I mean, they don't give him a spell him a whole lot. There's not much rest there. Adams, on a championship-level team, probably wouldn't be that interesting to me. But he's 26, and he's got big-time power. He's a huge guy, 6'4", 260. This team lacks power. I mean, they're desperate for anyone who can kind of hit the ball over the fence. Uh, I forget that they had four hits and four at-bats against the Tigers on Sunday. I, I know that's an, an easy thing to get excited about. He was over 3 in his start before that with a walk. And he's a career, like, 205 hitter. So I'm, I'm not pretending like this guy is a star if they just let him play. But because he can hit the ball out of the park, like he just doesn't play that often. He played on the 10th against the Giants, hit a homer, then he didn't play for four days, then he didn't play for a full week, and he hits another homer. I mean, he's played three times in the last you know, two and a half weeks. I, I feel like there, there's probably a happy medium there where you don't have to play him a lot to the point where he gets exposed, but you could probably play him more, even if it has nothing to do with him. You're just trying to keep Kbert fresh so he doesn't hit a wall. Well,
3: and I think that's exactly it right there is you don't want Kbert to hit a wall because he's catching every single day. Like right now, the pace that Kbert's on to catch is absurd and he needs to have more days off. And I'd like to see Riley Adams. But, you know, to your point, maybe he doesn't get you super excited. But you also do need to figure out if Riley Adams is something, maybe you could plan on having him as your backup catcher. Or you could plan on moving him, depending upon what some of the guys in the minors have done, because some of the guys in the minors that are catchers have done really well. I'd like to see him just a bit more. We know that k the catcher of the future, so I'm not saying that he needs to be starting a majority of the games. But so far on the season, only eight games and 30 at-bats. I think he needs a little bit more than that.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: Looking ahead now for the Nationals to what lies ahead on the schedule this week, Juan Soto and the Padres are coming back to town, and we're going to spend a bunch of time on Thursday's pod, which will release Thursday evening, so either grab it that night or on Friday, on looking back on the Juan Soto trade, how we feel about it now, how we felt about it then. But it is going to be a pretty momentous thing for this fan base that Soto who has not had a particularly good season. He's gotten it going a little bit here recently, but it has been a disappointing stay in San Diego so far for a superstar with really high expectations. He's hitting about 250 with an 870 OPS. He's got eight home runs and 21 driven in on the year. Uh, He is hitting better, you know, 291 in his last 15 games, about 290 in his last 30, but he's just four for 24 with one home run coming into the game over his last seven I can't wait to see him. He's a World Series hero. He's one of my favorite nationals ever. In fact, he's one of my favorite athletes ever. I just love everything about the kid and his big smile. Uh, I was on board with the trade. I thought he was never going to sign here. ahead of free agency, and so I wanted to get as much back from him as possible. I think Rizzo did a really good job with that deal, and we'll talk more about that in a few days. But uh, what kind of emotions and feelings do you have about seeing Soto come back to town with San Diego?
3: Yeah, it's still tough to see him in a Padres uniform, see him in just any other uniform. But, you know, you see guys that you got in that trade playing every single day. And C.J. Abrams, you see the guys in the minors, James Wood and those guys. And honestly, I'm excited. Tuesday, you get Mackenzie Gore taking on his old team and you Darvish on the mound. So, I mean, it, it's really tough seeing Soto do what he's done out there. He's struggled for sure. So, you'd let, you know, I, I still cheer for the guy. You'd like to see him play well. But it's still tough, but he's always going to be a nationals legend since 2019 and it's special to see him. And I'm sure he'll get a nice reception when he comes back to Nats park.
2: Oh, it's going to be awesome again. Yeah. Luckily uh, we got to see him right out. I guess, luckily I say that now it was pretty awful at the time, but right after the trade, he came back to town, remember to Nats park and, and we took good care of him and he got a very nice ovation. All right. Dabble down to the minor leagues for a couple of notes here on Sunday. I was in Fredericksburg. I went and saw Cole Henry pitch. He was nails, man. Four innings of three-hit shutout ball with six strikeouts. So now in two starts, hitters are four for 24 off of him in Fredericksburg. Seven innings since coming back from Thoracic Outlet in A-ball. 11 strikeouts, no walks, a 167 average against. Uh, It just couldn't have gone better so far. The key is going to be keeping him healthy. For people that don't remember, he's the second-round pick at LSU who was in AAA and got shut down last year. Hopefully, can get to the big leagues will be a really fun story this summer. But I got to tell you, just watching him in Fredericksburg, I mean, those kids stood no chance. That there were we call it a sword when you have the really gross swing, you know, pretty embarrassing, terrible swings. I was texting with him a little bit after the game and um, laughing about some of the swings, and he was being the uh, gentleman and the good sport that he is, you know, as if he was being challenged, but just wasn't the case. But I, I'm very interested to see what happens. Hopefully, they bump him up at least to Wilmington. I would probably put him, you know, in double A at Harrisburg and, and, you know, get him another opportunity to start pitching against some better batters.
3: Yeah. The thing for him is the health obviously. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of track record on guys coming back from that injury. So hopefully he can stay healthy. I'm interested, you know, he's looked good in his couple of outings so far. So that gives you some hope on the, you know, just getting back to a form sort of injury after an injury. And now it's just about the longevity after an injury, just seeing as he continues to take the mounds, Every couple of days, that he can continue to be productive and get out of every outing healthy. So, I mean, from what we've seen so far, this guy's a really good arm, and hopefully, we can see him at the big league level soon.
2: And one other minor league note Drew Millis, who'd been killing it at the double A level with Harrisburg, has been promoted to triple A. Uh, he's going to join us, I believe, on Thursday's pod as well. So, we'll be busy uh, on that podcast, but he hitting 340, 990 OPS on the season. Uh, He's 25. They got him from Oakland in the Jan Gomes-Josh Harrison deal, which seems like a pretty good find now. I think he's at the bottom of the top 30 in MLB pipeline, but he's just a better player than the rankings would suggest. He's had a hell of a year. Looks like a major league talent. Uh, So we'll catch up with Drew Millis coming up later this week on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Uh, Anything else, Tobe, that you want to throw out there? Thoughts? Any leftovers that we have not discussed as we get into this San Diego series and then the lads? Hit the road to go out to Kansas City.
3: I saw people tweeting about this, and it just shows you again how crazy 2019 is. This Nationals team is 20 and 27, which is better than 19 and 31. <laughs>
2: and it, <laughs> that's that's crazy to think about.
3: It's absurd to think about that that team came back from 19 and 31. I know a lot of what we talk about with Nationals goes back to 2019, but it, it just goes to show you what a miracle season that was, and hopefully we can experience that again soon. I have
2: not even thought about that. So this team already one more win with still four fewer losses than the 19 and 31 team. What a great point. What Nats at? Is that the uh, cherry mother- blossom?
3: That's Mother's Day from last year.
2: That's because it's got like the pink underbrim. Yeah. That's a good-looking cat. Have they- I'm trying to think of what they've been rocking for the most part. I think still the navy blue Nats
3: jerseys are my favorite. Uh, yeah, I really like those. I tell you what, though. Maybe it's just nostalgia as opposed to actually good looks. On Sunday, Josiah Gray on the mound, they rocked the red curly W unis again, and it feels like I haven't seen those in forever, and they just looked good. They are a good-looking uniform. And it it is, to your point,
2: like when something like that goes away for a little while, it's like absence makes the heart grow fonder or whatever the hell the the saying is. You're (laughs) right. I saw the, the look, and I thought, Oh, that's clean. That's very good. I do love the navy blues. Honestly, I think most of their gear is fire. Like the gray cherry blossom jerseys are awesome.
3: Yeah, and I- it makes it makes me all the more thankful that they got those right. Seeing all the terrible city connects that came out. You know, Baltimore released theirs today, and that's been pretty bad. the The jerseys aren't as bad as I first saw them because I like the little underneath for Baltimore, but I don't know how that connects to Baltimore at all. But I am thankful that the Nationals got it right with their cherry blossom stuff.
2: Yeah, they're very good. The City Connects though, like I saw some ranking, I don't know, it was just some random dude on Twitter probably. I shouldn't care about it. But it was like top five, bottom five City Connects, and they put the Nats in the bottom five. I was like, well, you gotta it, be kidding me.
3: I will say that you know I was still in Milwaukee at the time when they first released and a bunch of people thought they were ugly. I think they did a good job because the people of D.C., the people of the area, they love them. And that's really what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a uniform for the area that they love and all of us love it. So I I think they did a fantastic job with it. And who knows, maybe it (laughs) might have caused them to have a little bit of a, a realization that they don't like the curly W anymore or something. I don't know. They're trying to use the block W more with the capital in the background, too. So
2: we'll see. The old Curly W red cap. Yeah, there's still a place for it.
3: All right, that'll do it for
2: Bustin' Loose Baseball. So we will have Drew Millis. We will take a deep dive into the Soto deal, looking back at the decision and how we feel about it now. Uh, And we'll get a a deeper look into the minor leagues over the week as well, coming up in our Thursday taping. Thanks for listening to Bustin' Loose Baseball. Toby Grant, producer Daris, saying so long. we are back at it in a couple of days.